Hello and welcome to the first episode of the Circa Now podcast. My name is Simon Young and I'm the author of the book So Much for the 30-Year Plan, Therapy, the Authorised Biography, out now on Jawbone Press. Due to the COVID pandemic, the band's 30th anniversary shows have been postponed until next year. So what would be the next best thing? That's right, a Zoom chat on a Saturday night. I caught up with Andy Kenz, Michael McKeegan and Neil Cooper to discuss the book, virtual rehearsals and their future plans. Whereabouts were you supposed to be playing tonight? Had Belfast. Right. Belfast. This would have been, let me think, half eight. We'd have been on stage now. It's kind of an early show. Yeah. And then we would have been wreaking havoc around the town later. We're all doing a Zoom call with you, Simon. So this you is the, oh, yeah. clearly the next best thing. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we're here to uh, talk about uh, the authorised biography. Um, yeah. So it's been quite a, quite a, a therapy-heavy year for me personally. Um, so it, it all started in uh, August, sort of the, the initial chat with uh, uh, Neil and Andy in London over a few drinks and some food and here we are just over a year later so but um well thank you for joining us everyone watching uh so we're just gonna have a chat about the book and then we've got lots of uh questions from fans and stuff <laughs> so um how's how's the last six months been for you all on a, a personal level um Hmm. Anyone want to go first? <laughs> uh, I'll jump in. Yeah, it's go on. from my end, it's actually not been too bad. You know, when we're kind of once I'd kind of got my head around the concept of you know the lockdown and all the rest of it, you know, we we were quite lucky in that everybody was quite well. We were all at home, and we just kind of got the heads down and got on with it. You know, I'm, I'm quite um, how'd you put it? You know, when, when I'm at home. I'm, you know, you, you just do normal stuff anyway. So it wasn't really a, a massive wreck from that. You know, obviously, uh, we were just gearing up to go on tour. But um, like I said, when you just realised that there was nothing anybody could do, you know, and this was far bigger than just going out and playing some gigs, it kind of I got my head around that and just got on with it, you know. It was good. Yeah, I, I was kind of, um, you know, like Michael said, you, you get really sort of, geared up to going on tour and then suddenly having the plug pulled but you know no one could do anything about it i mean to be honest i've enjoyed having time with the family and stuff but um yeah and we we were all ill so we kind of got through all that that was that was pretty and at first i sort of i had a bit of a i was speaking to the lads about it. i had a real downer on things i just couldn't get my head around anything and uh bizarrely the the, the michael and andy sent uh sent me some tunes to kind of get my head around and lift my spirits, which was brilliant, you know, and you kind of need that sort of thing. So, yeah, I sort of went through a real dip. But, um, yeah, once I got my head around it, I was kind of, I was, I was all right. It's just, yeah, it's quite strange for me to get really, really down. But, yeah, I did it for, I mean, it could have been the illness and everything. So, yeah, there's all types of stuff. Obviously, seeing your children, it kind of freaks me out. But um, other than that, it's weird now. I, I feel as though, like, we're working on new stuff and ideas are flowing. So, you know. You just get on with it, don't you, really? Yeah. And you, you've spent a lot of time in your garage, uh, Andy, uh, yeah. peeling out classic riffs for the, the Instagram feed. <laughs> well, that's it. Is it the one? 
the one thing about the lockdown is I'm probably a 20 times better guitar player now than I was before the lockdown because I'm actually, I'm actually going in and playing the thing all the time. But um, yeah, it's, it was, uh, I'm, I'm really, really enjoying doing that actually. But I had to sort of take a step back because it was ending up, I got into a routine, which I'm never, I'm never usually good with routines. And I got into this routine of going, in the, going for a run in the morning and then going into the garage every day. And then I sort of hit a wall. So yeah, I mean, I don't know, but I'm, maybe I'm a bit odd, but I've got to the point now where whenever I was going out at the start of the lockdown and the roads were completely empty, it was like the day after tomorrow or, you know, <laughs> like 28 days later. Yeah. I really like that. Right. <laughs> I really, really like that. And I've got like, um, I get sinusitis always in the left, in the left hand side of my nose and it's always blocked. And after about a month, it completely cleared up. And um, I don't know what it was, whether it's pollution or whatever, but um, obviously, you know, I, I really, really missed that. I really, really missed the band and I missed my mates in the band and, and you know, miss things like going to football. Mm-hmm. But as regards the kind of tranquility and the, uh, the zen-like tranquility that it's brought, I kind of have enjoyed that. You know, just, yeah. It's just a shame. What's, I mean, I, I, I think I'm quite lucky, actually. I, mean, I look at people that, you know, that, that are in terrible situations that, how must they be getting by for these six months? Yeah. You know, and I can laugh about it now and approach it with levity. But yeah, I think I think I've been quite lucky. I think you've got to grab a hold of any positives you can, mm. you know, for yourself. Uh, when watching Chelsea, do you have the crowd sounds on or off? No, I can't have the crowd sounds on. I sit through every agonising moment. I hear every drinks bottle being kicked off the sideline. <laughs> yeah, I was especially, yeah. I, but I like it. And well, I don't like it, I hate it. But I can't let myself watch it with calmed, you know, calmed crowd. I can't. Yeah. I have to watch it. I think as well, it'd be the same with, you know, if there was a gig, I was wondering when we come back and play gigs, you know, will someone, will the electric ballroom say, well, you have the option. If it's <laughs> socially distanced, the electric ballroom holds 1,400 people or whatever. Yeah. We'll say, well, I'll only play the game with 300, but we can pipe in extra crowds for the, the monitors at the front of the stage. <laughs> <laughs> Let's have you another one, lads. You want to feel every agonizing <laughs> yeah. moment. You yeah. want to hear everyone hitting the keypad on their phone as they text their mate because they haven't played church and knowledge yet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Get on with it. Yeah. <laughs> Come on, therapy. Let's have another one. Uh, <laughs> or they just have all the levels really skew whiff. So you just hear people ordering drinks at the bar yeah. too loudly at the back. <laughs> yeah. So um, you. You've uh, you've done quite a few uh, sort of lockdown videos. Can you explain to fans uh, the process of recording remotely? Like who, we should who... do it in order of who, yeah. who does it's what. Bloody hard, bloody hard work. Starts with Neil. Start, it starts with Neil. So yeah. So so we 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 sort of got the idea where we 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 kind of um, we couldn't do it live. Um, so we kind of record ourselves we do the audio and we do the sort of video footage ourselves um and then so i will record on an electronic drum kit uh film it on my phone uh, and just record it on a tablet that you know the um, audio send the audio over to michael uh you take it from there michael and then i would just just do the bass <clears throat> just straight through uh, video it wherever you know I'm in the house at the time and then I would mix that and then send it to Andy and then Andy would 
<laughs> I'm the most primitive of the rest of them all record it properly. And I don't have garage band or Pro Tools or, or an Apogee that fits into my phone. And so I, I play, I download Michael and Neil's track into my computer. I um, put my earbuds into the computer and then I put my phone about two feet from the front of my Marshall stack in the garage. I press play on my headphones and I play along in the guitar, record the MP3 of my guitar track, send that to Michael, <laughs> and then Michael has to tidy it up. <laughs> how, how many yeah, attempts did Michael, it take to? Well, Michael attempts did it take to do it? Yeah. That was straight off. We caught it straight, didn't we? I think for, yes, first yes, thing, I, I think things you, like you have to kind of. So each of each, I suppose, as you're looking at it, each of the takes are live takes. If you like, you can't start yeah. messing around with it too much. So, um, yeah. So it, it is it is each of the takes yeah. is what and it's take it's done as live because obviously all our proper equipment is locked up in a lockup in London, which has been gathering dust since the sixth of August last year, and then we've been doing some rehearsing. I think maybe in was it January February in Derby. Yeah. Was so kind of all, all the, the demo recording gears there. So what we have at home is extremely basic. You know, it was literally, I had to go and buy more guitar leads because I only had one guitar lead that worked in the house, you know. So it was really a case of how's this, how's that? But bizarrely, I think we've actually, sonically, they sound better than some records we've done. Some <laughs> <laughs> records we spent a lot of money on as well. But we... We're obviously doing songs that we, um, you know, we know or we've relearned and stuff. You know, we're, we haven't really done it in, uh, from scratch uh, per se. So um, that that's good. We've got a good template for it. So we're playing off something that we, we would have done before. But the good people, people seem to have really enjoyed them as well. It was a good way of us kind of sort of playing but not playing and just getting the ball rolling and, and just seeing what was possible with the technology and the very basic, you know, kind of, things we were dealing with at home uh, from the technology side of things. Yeah. Um, it was really important as well. I think it was really important to sort of give us something to focus on and just chip away at because as a band like us, you sort of, you, there's always something coming up. And when, when something out of your control just puts a complete, the brakes on yeah. and, and that's it, you're just left. It's kind of like, well, I think we're so, you know, it's just ingrained that we will be doing something next. What's next? What's happening next? And um, that, I think that's when, when we first started talking about it, that's what was in my head. It's just something to aim at. I, I, I found it really uh, sort of helpful throughout, throughout the break, you know, the lockdown, if you like. Yeah, yeah. We, we, we like a project, something to work towards. You know, sometimes the projects come off the rails and, you know, there's projects that have been ongoing for a long time, you know, with um, reissue projects and things and pulling stuff together, but it's always kind of, you know, there's always stuff taking along, and as Neil said, that was a good one just to, you know, keep everyone keep everyone in contact and keep in contact with the fans and see how everyone was getting on and um, just do. And we obviously focused on maybe like we did isolation and going nowhere, you know, lyrically kind of tied in with what was going on. And then we did some songs for like anniversaries, you know, like the meet abstract anniversary and stuff. So we we kind of had a there, there was a thought behind it. We just didn't bang out a load of stuff for the sake of doing it. So it was, yeah, it was fun. Because um, in the book, I remember Neil was talking about um, uh, one of the uh, uh, Newcastle sessions. Uh, you expressed an interest in playing Animal Bones because uh, you hadn't really t 
tackled it before quite late on into you know your time in the band um whose idea was it to do a that that early track for one of these uh, lockdown videos that was michael's i think that was yeah i think that was just because that was was that for the anniversary of baby teeth i think it was yeah it was, okay. was tied into something yeah. yeah 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 and i think it was one of the songs we'd never really played that much as a band there it is simon just yep. sandwich between phil and cleave there <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah but um it, it, it sounded really good especially with the kind of um you know your electronic drum kit it, it sort of suited the mood of the the original recording yeah yeah it, 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 yeah a few people sort of commented on that i think just that the sort of vibe of the tune in itself it kind of yeah just seemed to work like yeah yeah it was good brilliant no subtlety compressed the fuck <laughs> yeah just but there's just, there was just shit flying off the kit as i'm playing <laughs> those yeah. kits aren't built for that kind of stuff no brilliant. so has any new new york well has any uh ideas kind of uh come out of the last six months that you've worked on collectively in a similar way because we had lots of ideas as michael said earlier we were all rehearsing in february mm-hmm. and we had like the guts of 10 or 11 songs michael and neil have been pinging over ideas and i've been pinging them ideas so we're going to have a really good body of work and michael was just suggesting last week that the stuff that we've been doing with the lockdown videos, we're actually going to start remotely demoing tracks. Right. So we're going to like start, you know, we'll say we'll have a rough arrangement of what the tracks are and, and Neil will send the drums, bass, I'll add the guitar. And then that means if, you know, when it comes to doing the album, we can actually listen to say the, the 20 or so tunes we have and go, well, we know what to cut that chorus out at the end or that needs something in the middle or we need to change the guitar part. At least we'll all have all that done because you know, we don't know when we're going to get the recording studio again, so we may as well get everything ready so that when we do go and we know what we're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that'll all start from probably this week and next week. I mean, we've been sending each other ideas, and Neil's been playing along with ideas, and Michael sent me stuff, and I've added some guitar to it and stuff. So it's, well, there's a lot of ideas there. We just haven't been able, the three of us, to get into a room to do anything, so we're going to have to yeah. do it this way. Yeah. It's almost like everything has got to a point with those previous songs and then we're going to bring all the other stuff up but then the next step is you need to go into a room you know and play on the real stuff and then that'll lead to it but i reckon if we we get everyone up to where it needs to be it'll be good i'll be you know as we say we like a project and this is a good focus now coming into the winter and stuff so it'll be yeah. it'll be a lot of a lot of sound files pinging over the irish sea yeah well you know you've you know, you spent a winter in the recording studio separately, so you know it's it's not above <laughs> anyone's. Uh, yeah. you know, the you saddest know. thing about well, not the saddest, but the most sort of <laughs> oddest thing about that was there was a there was an attempt at Christmas decorations in the lonely <laughs> apartment, and it was like this kind of like wilted Christmas tree with a few bits of tinsel on it, and you just sat there eating your your beans and toaster ready meal reason yeah the, the upside trying. down house as well in gateshead it was upside yeah. down it was, it was like you walked you walked in the front door and it, it was all empty apart from a utility room and a cloakroom and then you went up the stairs and there's a kitchen and a living room <laughs> in the middle floor and then two bedrooms at the top and it was right in the middle of uh it's just opposite where you get out the, the metro gateshead there but it was it was very very lonely and cold <laughs> yeah just the words cold 
Gates said flat really summed up the glamour <laughs> of, uh, <laughs> of recording an album. Excellent. So um, what, what kind of music, you know, cause you've had all the time in the world really to kind of, uh, you know, listen to and watch stuff. What, what music's kind of leapt out of you at the last uh, sort of half of the year that, that you've really kind of uh, been inspired by? Um, I kind of get into a lot of, cause I, I'd sort of got into electronic music and sort of, sort of slightly quieter music for a while, but in the last four or five months and I've got really into noise rock again, but like mm. also, you know, and also anything electronic, which is really fierce. So I've got into things like, uh, Luminous Bodies, Rainbow Grave, Deaf Kids, Pet Brick, um, you know, Casual Nun, um, lots and lots of stuff like that again i think maybe it's just because it really sort of wakes me up during these times it's like if i go into the garage we're doing more work you know i normally put something on while i'm sitting on the cables and guitar and and that sort of does the trick and i went, I went to see luminous bodies um and casual nun just about a week i think before the lockdown and it was incredible it was in the lexington in london oh. and you know it was sold out and there was like loads of bodies flying everywhere one of the drummers from the luminous bodies ended up in the crowd and all it was like a really great that you imagine all the best nights out in London are like and that that's sort of I was just getting back into going out to gigs again whenever the, all, this all happened so I suppose stuff like that resonates with me a lot more and the, the, there's some great I was like that band Salt S-A-U-L-T and uh, Morning of Black Star that do really good atmospheric uh, electronic and soul music but yeah I think the more sort of gnarly <laughs> ugly kind of sounds are what yeah. are what's doing it for me at the minute. Yeah what about you Michael? Well, I, during the lockdown, I went very retro. I kind of went back and dug out all the old Priest albums again and all. So I'm always kind of continuously on a Sabbath tip anyway, but um, went through all the Tony Martin years and stuff like that. And I quite like doing that. I remember doing it once with the Scorpions, you know, you, where it's almost like you start with the first album and you have to, even those difficult, you know, years, you have to get involved. So I, did all that, you know, and then Killing Joke, I actually started doing that with them. So I just finished going through all their albums. Mm. And um, I suppose for new stuff, no, I can't really think of any new bands. And the new Napalm Death album is absolutely brilliant. I think it's one of the, possibly their best album yet. And yeah. it's got a nice um, post-punk vibe to it, which yeah. works really well with, the, you know, the usual ferocity and velocity. So it's, it's really, um, dynamically, it's brilliant and it's really well recorded. So that's... Yeah. that's uh, a big a big one on my listening you, you mentioned tony cat um sorry tony martin um no, you, you mentioned him. where does uh headless cross <laughs> where does headless sorry. cross mention uh where does the headless cross rank in their uh canon well above forbidden put it that way right <laughs> yeah. above forbidden give me a lot of thought <laughs> and uh what about you neil what's been uh what you what you've been playing um <clears throat> I sort of went through a, through a strange, a strange period, like, like I was saying, I, I, I required tunes off the boys, and so the lads sent me some stuff, and one of the albums that really stuck out was um, the, I, the I Flies album. Oh, yes. It's, uh, oh, yes. That, that, that's, that, that, that's great. It's a kind of recent thing. And There's an electronic uh, artist called Park, Park High Gin, I think her name is, uh, on Ninja Tunes, which I really like, that EP. It was recent stuff, but I kind of did a similar thing to Michael. I... I just went retro and I was really, I was just listening to things like uh, Kill Em All and Hell Awaits. Um, 
and just remote, like almost like I think sometimes you get into these sort of you get into almost like a pop. There's a there's a band called Disc actually who are almost like a bit Weezerish and just very very kind of pop Weezer meets sort of pavement type thing. Very pop sort of arrangements. And when I was listening to Kill 'Em All and Hello Wait, so it was almost like just the difference in song arrangement was just almost like going around my head as in <laughs> listen to me i was kind of like yeah what's metal and what's pop fit <laughs> and you know that, and it just yeah I, that, that was in one of my one of one of my darkest days but uh, yeah it, it, it reignited my love of uh, heavy music um so yeah sorry we're, we're not on that. yeah I, I just find it so interesting when you listen to those old records and kind of go that's like such a bizarre, especially Hello, that's a, Kill Em All Right. You know what? If you listen to things like Jump In The Fire, it's like a disco bass line. And like opening riffs, like Seek and Destroy, it's like they'll start, then they stop, and then they go into another riff, and then they'll go somewhere else, and then they'll go back to the second riff underneath the vocal. It's like, <laughs> as an arrangement, it's actually quite mental. But you know, as a kid, you're just like you, you just take it in. It's brilliant. Yeah, so perhaps I'm overanalyzing it a little bit, but they're still you're brilliant. Right. I'll just assure yeah. everyone. Yeah, they're still brilliant. Current, currently residing in the where are they now category. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, so um, uh, yesterday I, I I sent out a tweet asking people to um, send in questions, and we'll we'll take a few from the floor. Um, so, uh, Sean says, um, how come you never recorded with, uh, Steve Albini? It would uh, seem like a good fit sound wise, you know, and, uh, also some of the bands you loved are from that school. Is that anything you've kind of uh, contemplated in the past? Yeah. I mean, we, there is the Steve Albini bit their history. We would love, we always liked this work and we'd love to have recorded with him. And in fact, the plan, whenever we were with, um, Quarter stick records in the States, touch and go, and John Loader from Southern. Hmm. You know, the plan was after Pleasure Death, we were going to do an album, and they had, they were going to ask Steve to do it. You know, that was who the, the natural person to produce the album was. And then we, we went to AM. And before Short Sharp Shock, we'd written the material, the sort of the, the, the skeletal riffs and all the material, and we were in Nottingham, and I managed to get Steve Albini's number off Harvey Burrell, that was our sound engineer and producer. And after sound check, I said, well, I'm going to ring him, see if he'll produce Scream Major, Totally Random Man, you know, all the stuff that became the Short Sharp Shock EV. And Fife didn't want to do it. And Mike said, no, you do it, Andy. So I rang him up and we just left Touch and Go and I got through to him and he was very polite. And he basically said, well, to be honest with you, I'm really good friends with Corey Rusk. You know, you were on Corey Rusk's label, but you've now left it, you know, so um, politically this wouldn't be right for me to do. And I really like your first records, but, and then I, my, my pathetic, uh, end of thing was well would you ever work with us in the future and yeah well we can talk about that when the time comes kind of thing and then before suicide pact with a nightmare getting producers because no one was available Graham had broken his arm and I remember at the time I didn't want to ring Albini again so our manager Jerry rang him and he got him and he said yeah I'd be interested in working with a band but chillax about to go on tour and I haven't really got time to do this so I think we've always talked about this. I mean, I don't know if the lads still agree, but we always said it's the kind of thing, if he was up for doing it and we were in America on tour or spending time there, dropping into electrical audio would be great. Yeah. But I think, you know, I, I really, really think it's a brilliant fit between Therapy and Chris Sheldon. It just is fantastic. 
Yeah. But it's the kind of thing, yeah, I mean, if, if we were on tour in America and we had, like, say, a week off and we had some songs written, I, I would, you know, I would, would at some point like to work with them because everyone just says, you know, that's, they always kind of think, well, that should be what you're going for. But. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. That sounds right. Um, as I said that question, I realised I wrote about it uh, that, that <laughs> particular moment. But I, really I know, it, <laughs> yeah, I know it's shown. Um, if got anyone the book. wants to read more about it, I'm sure you go into it in more details. I'm in that it's available digitally right now because someone uh, sold all their copies. So, uh, yay! <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm talking about that. So, so I, I was quite amazed by the uh, the the uptake. You know, from the amount you you took from the publisher and sold very quickly uh so if anyone wants a, an actual physical copy there'll be more available soon yeah from reprints people. coming pre-orders up on our website yeah <laughs> excellent uh so uh arvo party uh asks if you were contractually obliged to record a concept album what would it be about <laughs> that's also herb who works for the band concept album um well here, here's one because i i know where he, I know where he, the neck of the woods he comes from. I, I think we should do one about the Causeway Safari Park, which was an ill-fated safari park up on the Causeway Coast in the north of Antrim. Um, through the, the 80s, probably maybe into the 90s, and it all ended up. It was kind of Tiger King before the Tiger King, but with you know East Antrim accents and stuff. So <laughs> something like that. Might be quite good because it, it's a, a double dealing deceit, probably all sorts of dodgy goings on. That would make a good one. So I'd say, <laughs> Safari Park concept album. Be brilliant. Tiger King. Brilliant. Would it be a double disc release or could you kind of fit it onto one, oh, one a half of a C90? Oh, it has to be a double disc if it's a concept album. So. Yeah. Yeah, it has Excellent. to be with Roger Dean artwork. <laughs> <laughs> um, keeping on that uh, theme, um, Rob asks, uh, will Penis Temple and Duck Symphony ever be shared, <laughs> perhaps as a Penis Symphony EP? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good name for it, Penis Symphony. Oh, I, I don't know. I don't know. It's That <laughs> might be a dip too far into the psyches of men on the edge. I don't know. Um <laughs> Definitely a curio, you know, but um, maybe it's it, the myths may be more powerful than the actual reality. So maybe, <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, because uh, a lot of people um, talked about the uh, Speedo Menace, whether that would ever serve some Blu-ray. Well, Graham has that. Graham has the film because he videoed it on his camera. Yeah, uh, they're, they're ha I mean, for the last few years, various record companies we've been with have always talked about re-releasing Suicide Pact You first, and we always had it in our head that it would be like you know you could release that on say something like White Vinyl with a gatefold sleeve because there was really good artwork with that album, and then you could obviously throw in like Speedo Menace, but Graham Hopkins has it. You know, he filmed a lot of it, and we did do a sort of edit and stuff, so it is out there. So, and I, right. I think you talked to him, Michael. Did yeah, you mentioned it, and uh, you said I it's in his loft somewhere. I th he's yeah. got to dig it out, but I'm sure he will if you know the public demand is uh, sufficient. Um, so uh, Tommy Hand uh, asks, would you consider making a therapy beer or whiskey? No, we couldn't. I don't think we could personally make it because like thousands would die, especially if we made it the <laughs> But I think if some brewery came along and wanted to stick our name and a gamble on the bottle, we, we would get we could get involved and taste it. Yeah, but I yeah. wouldn't. Have 
My no. bathtub hooch wouldn't be fit for public consumption. Do you, do you remember, remember Bogarden, Andy? Remember we tried? <laughs> we, 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 we were working on a hybrid beverage at a Belgian <laughs> festival. And um, it was Strongbow and Hogarden. Yeah. Bogarden. <laughs> nice. Bogarden, yeah. it, um, it should have been called. <laughs> <laughs> it didn't the way we thought it would. Yeah. Yeah. It just wasn't happening, so we we might, but but no, I think I think a lot of bands have done them, and um, I think it might be quite a fun thing to do. We've had you know people have done ones at festivals. They brewed like there's one called Die Laughing at a yeah. Dutch festival, which, it's right. here, yeah. That's nice. which um, is nice. Well, in the book, uh, I think, uh, or at least we talked about it. Um, you <clears throat> saw some pitching for uh, Clutch. In... Yeah, no, that that was in, in Ballyclare. Uh, Potching was a big thing. You know, Ballyclare is a kind of a market town in East in East Antrim, in County Antrim. And my dad used to know people that made Potching, and it was the kind of thing where, you know, in the seventies, let's make this party go with a bit of a bang. Someone would get a clear lemonade bottle, and it'd be full of Potching. Yeah, and we were we were talking about it with Clutch, and they were saying like. They said something along the line of, do you, is it, you know, we're talking about how hillbillies originated from the north of Ireland. And I think someone said, was that not where like sort of moonshine comes from, northern mm. part of Ireland? And I said, well, I don't know. My dad used to know people. So literally I phoned my dad and said, look, we're playing the Empire in Belfast with a band from Maryland called Clutch. And they've been asking about Potching. And my dad went, oh, yeah, I think the fellow that I used to know still makes it. So he drove up to some farmyard just outside Ballyclare and the guy still makes it. So uh, I, I, managed to get, I managed to get down to Ballyclare before sound check. And my dad handed me this, like it was a seven up bottle or something like that, but it's filled with watching. And I, I gave it to Clutch at sound check at the Empire. And uh, I think Jack, the late Jack Flanagan, their, their manager and tour manager tried some of yeah. it. And I think, I think Neil might have done, Neil Fanon. I think the rest of them were too scared. So the fact that it was in a lemonade bottle was just, you know, <laughs> this this could be anything. But we blinded clutch, nice and yeah. tight. <laughs> when I, when I lived in Honest Grove, I was tricked into having a swig of it from a a water bottle, and I think I lost my sight for about ten minutes. Oh my god! So oh. It's strong. It's not a relaxing drink by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> no, it's a shadow wreck the house very much so. <laughs> <laughs> um, so uh, th- a couple of people, uh, Richard and Irish Chris eighty one, uh, they've both been asking about updates about any uh, reissues of Baby Teeth and Pleasure Death. Is that a, a chance it may happen in the future? Um, well, we we do touch on in the book the reason why didn't they didn't end up in the um, the Gemmel box. You know, there there are remastered versions of them done, which do sound great. Yeah. And there probably would be some, you know, legal stuff to sort out. But yeah, it, it it's something that's it's one of those projects that kind of picks up steam every now and then. But yeah, hopefully, I'd, I'd I think they definitely um, should come out with that you know kind of sonic scrub up which they've been given, and they they sound really good from um, the work that's been done on them. So something like that would be really good. But nothing nothing definite as such. Yeah. Um... So Sullivan asks, uh, how did Neil and Tim from Clutch uh, come to appear on Shameless? Well, we were, um, we'd obviously done that tour with Clutch um, and got to know them really, really well. And what, what we did was, we, whenever we did Shameless, we worked really, really hard. I mean, Jack and Dino, he's a great producer, but he's, he's very much, 
you go in there at 11 o'clock and you're there to 10 or 11 at night and you, you only have two breaks the rest of the time. It's very, very intense. And his, well, because Jack doesn't drink or, or do drugs or anything like that, he, his two things were food and gigs. So like he used to, he used to like, whenever you'd had a meal at night, you know, the record company's paying for it. So you would go out and eat somewhere nice. And the second thing was if there was a band in town that he knew that we liked. So we saw tons of gigs when we were at Seattle. We saw the Melvins, we saw Murder City Devils. We saw Type Brothers from way back when. Um, uh, um, uh, Clutch were in town and they were playing with Corrosion of Conformity. And Jack went, oh, that'll be a really, really good gig. So we, um, we managed to get in touch with Jack Flanagan and said, look, we're up at um, the studio in Seattle. <laughs> what, are the, what time are the lads sound checking at? We've, we've got this song. Because the song on the album, the, the phrase, Gentlemen, Start Your Axes, that came from a story Neil Fallon had told us about some, you know, Battle of the Bands competition they used to have in the Midwest that he used to go to where a compare would come and go, Gentlemen, Start Your Axes, and the, these kind of Whitley Van Halen type bands would play. So we, we got in touch with him and, we, and Jack said, what do you want them to do? We said, well, we want... Uh, Neil to make a lot of to say gentlemen start your axes and like uh, Tim to just make lots of really revy sounds in the guitar and they said absolutely no problem and they sound checked I think about four o'clock they jumped in the cab from I think it was a shoebox they were playing with Corrosion and they um, they ended up at the sound check and then it came in hi guys how's it going we did all that and then we ordered pizza and they sat and they had pizza with it and then they, they, went, they went back to the gig and uh, about and they were on stage about an hour and a half later. And then we went down soon after that and saw them on stage and got, had a really good night, went out with them afterwards, got very, very drunk. Mm. And um, yeah, it was, it was a great night, but they, it was literally just something that we phoned up and they, they said, yeah, we'll do it. There was no, what keys the song in mind, you know, what kind of vibe are you going for? It was all like, what do you want? Want some noise and we want a compare. And they went, yeah, we can do that. Brilliant. Excellent. So um, Jay asks, uh, what sort of set list can we expect when the tour finally goes ahead? Will it be a greatest hits type affair or something catered for the more diehard fans? Um, <laughs> I've actually kind of forgotten what we've decided. I thought it was just me. <laughs> Yeah, that's um, a long time ago. I'm going to have to retrace. What are we the, doing again? What? Um, no, I think I think the nature of it being the 30th anniversary, the vibe was meant to be like a celebration, and obviously with the um, you know the re-recorded greatest hits, that yeah. would kind of be the core of the set type thing. Um, but we, there was a few wild cards. We talked about stuff we we hadn't played, and I think probably dipping into a few things during the lockdown there there would probably be a couple of other different things but whenever that's going to happen <laughs> we'll probably pick up the ball again and then look at that but yeah it would it, it would um it would be a party set yeah mm -hmm. there's not going to be any 30 minute instrumentals or anything like that or, or there might be i don't know yeah what what spaces they Brilliant. I mean, what, what song are you missing playing most, uh, you know, right now? I think, I think for me personally, we'd learned a couple of, as Michael said, wild cards. That we'd uh, decided we'd play some off Semi-Attached, which I hadn't played in years. Right. So, so I went back and, and had to relearn <laughs> re the parts. But I really enjoyed playing a couple of the songs. And a few of the ones off Suicide Pact, we went back and learned... I think, that, as Michael said, the idea was just to have a few of these up our sleeves so we could, we could play 
you know, the party set and chuck some of this stuff in. And there was a lot of love given over the last six, seven, eight months for Semi-Detached, you know, ever since it appeared on Spotify. A lot of people were saying how much they actually liked it. So it made us go back and, and revisit it. And then, you know, as you mentioned earlier, with Animal Bones and Baby Teeth, you know, we were listening to stuff like Skyward again and, and all that kind of stuff. But yeah, so I, I, I was kind of that, that I was missing playing the most. I always like, whenever we go on tour, if we're touring a, a new album, uh, I, I enjoy playing that the most. Or like This Greatest Hits. It was, I went back, whenever we did that thing in Abbey Road, The Greatest Hits album, we did um, Opal Mantra. And I, I realized I'd never actually listened to the record of Opal Mantra for years and years and years. So I thought, well, we're going to record it in Abbey Road live. And I realized that, you know, we've been playing the chorus a completely different way than on the record for like years. Right. I mean, it's the same, same notes, but I've been playing yeah. different chord shapes. The chord shapes on the record are a lot more open. Mm. And I really, really enjoyed doing that again. Because you, know, you sometimes, you know, that's a bizarre thing with a band. But playing the, these songs for so long, sometimes when you go back and listen to things, you go, I've actually been playing this slightly wrong for 20 years, or I've forgotten that bit, or I've sang that lyric quite wrong. You know, <laughs> Is it hard to unlearn that then, if you have to go back and do something, say, properly? Well, for me, it's just, just repetition. If I've, if I've got a chord change or a lyric wrong, I literally have to sit down and go, it's like someone writing lines on a blackboard at school a hundred times. I have to just play it again, again, yeah. again, again. And it's the same one if we're on tour. If Michael says, oh, we should do something tonight that we haven't played, and I've literally at soundcheck got to shout at myself when it comes up to the bit that I always forget. Yeah. Because, you know, it, it does. It's, but then once it's in, it's in. That's all right. Then. Um, I think... I think it was on Kerrang.com, uh, it was mentioned that it was the uh, a big anniversary of the Judgment Night soundtrack. So Johnny Wes Plaid asks, what was it like recording with uh, Fatal for that? Uh, that's, you know. That, that, that was soundtrack. actually a lot of fun. Yeah. Brilliant, yeah. Because we, um, we did it on a, on a day off on an American tour, and we it was really interesting seeing how the producer approached recording it. We... we had a few bits and pieces that we've been playing around with because we knew we were going to do it. And basically, there was a drum loop, and that was just the, the, that's what they started with. And everyone was kind of built around it and do that. And Fatal, he'd very, he'd various kind of lyrical concepts, you know, some, <laughs> some were a bit more. I remember the some of them you mentioned during the, the interviews for the book. Yeah, so we had the movie. Quite graphic. Spirit <laughs> to a lyrical place that we were comfortable with as as well. But you know, that was that was all the fun of it, you know, sounding it. We you know we just met each other in the studio type thing. And it was gonna record it in New York with um T Ray, the producer. And um yeah, it was a really good experience. And we just played live rounds of track and then they would say, right, drop that bit, I cut that bit, and then Fatal came in and did his thing. So it was good, it was it was really, really good, and it was a um yeah, just coming from a completely different kind of mindset. And it was, they were kind of, I remember Andy was playing some of the riffs and Fatal was kind of goading them to, you know, he, he wanted them more evil nearly. So it was kind of getting more and more Sabbathy, some of the riffs in Andy's band, the notes and stuff. So it was, it, it was good in that respect. You know, it was kind of a good, um, yeah, it was a pretty true collaboration because we were all in the room together the whole yeah. time. Is there any footage of Diamond Dave entertaining uh, his entourage in the uh, green room? <laughs> Well, unless one of our crew has it but that was one of the funniest things i've ever seen in my life 
we were obviously nervous because we'd never worked with, with you know, we'd had a gunshot and people like that on tour with us, but we'd never worked with a hip hop crew. And, and he turned up and he was lovely, but beforehand we were all a bit, you know, okay, so how do we approach this? And um, it was like, you know, everyone was going, well, maybe, maybe, you know, we just, we will bust out, you know, what we want to do with each other. And uh, I think within two minutes of him arriving, Diamond Dave had called him Fat Al. And uh, I was like, who is this guy? I like this guy. And you know, like, um, the, the, the sort of, they go on like an absolute house on fire. And then uh, uh, Fails, Joseph, his name was, his wife turned up and a lot of his mates, they all hung about the studio, but they all thought he was, Diamond Dave was the funniest man on the planet. And to be honest, that that was great because it just made the atmosphere then. And the engineer that was working on it with T-Ray as well, he was quite old school because it was Gary Katzman from Steely Dan's studio. And it was up a few, it was several floors up and it was quite a posh high-end studio. And like whenever about us, a bunch of like noise nicks from Ireland and then Fatal arrived, I think the engineer in the place who was quite old school, he was a bit, you know, I'll just tolerate this until it's time for me to clock off. But even he got in the funnies with Diamond Dave. So it kind of made the situation a lot more workable. And the, as Michael said, you know, what we were writing completely from scratch. We didn't have any ideas. We, we started with a loop and a riff and Fatal and Michael's bass line and the key ride chopping and changing bits. And that's quite daunting, you know, especially it was a day off on tour and we knew that we'd only this one day to nail it and we heard all the other big names doing it. So fair play to Diamond. He, he made the environment really, really fun. Brilliant. Um, I'll, I'll end on a, a question from me. Um, is there anything in the book that surprised you when you read each other's kind of quotes and recollections throughout the years? Uh, how lucid a lot of Michael's memories were. There's always like, because you know, it is, you know, you know, there's a certain amount of, you know, uh, this is my truth, you know, whenever, whenever I recollect things, or this is how I remember things going. But uh, Michael's always, I think that's it. there's a great kind of, um, some poignancy to some of it as well. You know, you forget that, well, being with us having lived it for 30 years, you sort of forget there was a lot of times that, you know, we went through together and I suppose we were just so caught up in it that we didn't realise how fucked up things had got at points. What about you, Neil? Yeah, I mean, for me, obviously, kind of, uh, I've heard stories of things back in the day, but then to kind of read it, um, you know, in such detail has been really interesting for me, you know. Um, you kind of hear stories along the way, you know, obviously, but... So, yeah, it's, it's been great. So, th thanks, Simon. Thanks for that. <laughs> for, for getting it out of the boys. <laughs> uh, it's all right. <laughs> Simon, yeah. I, have a I have a question for you. Right. This is your first band biography, yeah? So I'm just wondering, have you got a taste for it? And if so, do you have a wish list of who else you'd like to? Oh, um, I, I, I would like to write more books now. Because um, <laughs> yeah. as, you, as you know, I was writing uh, the, 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 under a period of renovation in the house. So you'd often hear drills and hammers going off in the background. So the next book I do will be in much more calm serene environment <laughs> um but as far as i don't know you know i'm a fan of rock from the crypt and uh biffy and metallica you know n not just, just things surrounding those bands maybe but who knows of uh you know could, could do a, a thing about curb dog yeah <laughs> you know just 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 write about 
just you know bands I've I've kind of grown up listening to and you know got to know. I think knowing people is is a a big hit, hit start. I don't think I could go in cold on um a biography so i'll just have to uh make friends with more bands and and, and stick to them like limpets for 20 years then i get this that was, scoop when we when we started doing the interviews at first you know we we did um it was all done pretty much via skype or zoom you know so it was um i felt very at ease so there was no you know sometimes if you don't really know someone you're maybe not gonna be as detailed or be as explicit in maybe what you were feeling then you can yeah. you, you, sometimes you play a little bit safe but it was good because i well i think all of us we felt comfortable with you so you kind of you got the stuff that might not have been already known plus obviously you know you knew the band and you were your re- research was brilliant as well so it's kind of had that for me just reading it back that really good balance of personalities the kind of the emotional side of it, you know, plus then the the kind of the the detail, you know, that people want as well. So I, I think that's why it's been such a why people have reacted so well to it. It's been brilliant. Everyone seems to have really loved it, which is fair credit to you. That's brilliant. It's yeah, it was, thank you. It was fun to do. It was good to write. If if we could go, if there's are there any stories you wish you'd uh, add, like remembered along the way? Well, Phil Collins. Yes. <laughs> I was just saying to Simon, he sent me a picture and I saw that Phil was in it. Mm. And I totally had forgotten to say that Phil Collins' son was recording oh, in real world. He was kind of a, a, a young kid then. He was kind of um, doing demos and stuff. And he was he was keen to hang out with us and party with us and stuff like that. So it was, you know, it was, it was bizarre because Al Clay, the producer, he's a huge Phil Collins fan. And he was very, every day to ask, is, is your dad coming up? You know, any, you know, is he checking in the demos, you know, and like that type of thing. So, um, but yeah, there's, there's loads of crazy stories like that, that obviously they can't all go on the book, Simon. I suppose they get a bit maybe too anecdotal, but um, yeah, there's, there's loads of ones have come back since. Keep them for the third Did, pressing. Volume two. Yeah. Did Peter Butler's son once, whenever we were doing the, the rehearsals for High Anxiety at Real World, wasn't He's about the song. Yeah. Is it Biff? Biff Butler, yeah. Biff Butler. Is it like apartment 18 or something? That's, that's, that's what apartment yeah, yeah, yeah. They were in the studio and we were in the rehearsal room for a fortnight and we used they used to have both bands eating dinner. And it was like, um, he was, I remember, he was actually a nice lad, but uh, uh, Michael clocked it straight away. I had no idea, but yeah. <laughs> Falling around every time he was on the phone. <laughs> Is that your dad? (laughs) (laughs) Bizarrely. Love you. (laughs) I I had met his dad in Finland in 1995, possibly. No, 94, sorry. Tony the Cat Martin era. And when I got Geezer's autograph, he asked me for my autograph because his son was a huge therapy fan. That's right, I remember that. Yeah. Right. Was it, I was what was that called? The, uh, Something Rock Festival? Uh, Provinci Rock or one of Provinci those? Rock, I think, yeah. Yeah, just on Sabbath. But it was so surreal, because I was there with my Sabbath albums, getting them signed. He goes, oh, could I get one of yours, Michael? Because my, my lad's a good fan. <laughs> <laughs> I just got Geezer Butler. But he wasn't asking it. It wasn't for Geezer Butler, but anyway. You know? Nice enough. 
close Michael. enough. He asked Michael. He asked for it. He asked for it. Yeah. yeah. Don't don't make it out to my son. Just put Michael. <laughs> my son's also called Geezer. Yeah. <laughs> Excellent. Um, what one bit in the book, uh, Neil? Every time I think about the your description of um, uh, dislocating your shoulder playing football, I, I'm trying to get my head around how that happened. Okay. <laughs> what do you in mean? A, you see, you grabbed under a plastic netting, and, um, and yeah, yeah. So, so <laughs> he, he took it to me. Can you recreate it for us? Because you've got, if you so, hurt yourself, you've got time to recuperate again. Right. So, so, <laughs> so the pitch had got netted at the side, and I grabbed it, and I, and I carried on running. So my hand twisted, and then and I heard it kind of crack, and and then I kind of subbed myself off, and. Uh, I, I just went green and felt sick. I wasn't actually in that much pain. And then... Just walk it off. Yeah, yeah, I actually thought I'll go and have a bath. Yeah, I'll be all right. I'll be all right. And uh, my wife, who was my girlfriend at the time, was going, oh, you, you really are, you, you, you've gone green. You better go to the hospital. <laughs> so we went and, uh, and this was on the Sunday and we, we were doing the video for If It Kills Me on the Tuesday. Yeah. And uh, I was like, oh my God. Uh, anyway, I got to the hospital and the guy said, oh, uh, yeah, we'll x-ray it. And yeah, so the, the, the ball had split in two. But he's going, what do you do? And I was going, oh, I'm a drummer. He's going, right. He said, well, normally your ligaments snap. He said, and if that had happened, you'd, you'd, it'd have been game over for you. But for some reason, your ligaments are really strong. <laughs> strong like ball. Freakishly and... strong ligaments. <laughs> my ligaments and uh yeah so that was that and then then on the on the tuesday I, we went and did because uh, i went back and watched that video far more closely than any man should and <laughs> yeah. you, you did seem to be in bits oh mate yeah yeah it was, it, i was just popping pills i was like oh my god <laughs> i just couldn't move my arms like, oh oh yeah, yeah. so to how, how are you going to spend the the final months of uh this year are there any sort of band plans just surfacing, you know, just in case there's a miracle, miracle cure and vaccine? Would, would you release your own vaccine if it came to it? Oh, go to, yes. go to yes. Ballyclare, get the guy with the bucket. Put, put yeah. my, uh, <laughs> yeah. my I, I think if you did, in a, in a Trump sensation, I think if you in, intravenously injected botching, it probably would kill. Nothing would be alive. Multi-purpose. Yeah, yeah. But do you have? I mean, are there any plans just to sort of finalize album ideas this year? Yeah, we're going to try and, like Andy was saying earlier, get some ideas together remotely. The ideas are sort of pinging around, but I think we're going to try and sort of almost demo them remotely. it's like with everyone else so there's no real point in 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 booking anything or you know studio wise or gig wise i mean we we try we're trying to kind of get everything rolling but re- realistically in my opinion you know until until, until the public for, on a gig level until the public are happy to come and enjoy a night out in a packed room there's no point i mean it's like you know okay we can get there safely socially distanced etc etc but until people are going to feel comfortable there's no no point i uh, that's my personal thing but it's a tough one we've just got to just got to wait 
but but as as we are waiting, I think the three of us have just got to keep chipping away at stuff, which which is what we have got a lot of material, which is good. You know, that's yeah, and yeah. as long as, the more we work, everyone's got ideas. And this is, I mean, I think if, if we look at it as you mentioned earlier on about stem positive, Simon, I think if we just get this material finished, so that as Michael mentioned, when we get into a room to rehearse again, we can all go right that track there. You know, and yeah. it'll be great to eventually. And make, keep it positive. I mean, there are things that would like you know would would like to keep in touch. Things like this are fantastic. So, I mean, this I mean things like this do help. Mm. But I think there's only so far, as well as news, is that we can take that. At some point, you know, we're just going to have to get our heads down and get on with it until we're allowed back out to play live again. I mean, I was thinking today actually was when I was tidying up my garage earlier on. I was getting taking a leaf out of Michael's book and archiving a lot of my old material because whenever you were asking me for stuff for the book, it was here, there and everywhere. Yeah. There's some chance to, and just looking at all the pictures, I mean, if it's far back, like stuff that we did when Neil joined the band and stuff from two years ago, right back to rehearsals in 1989. And on the 6th of October, it'll be exactly one year since we actually played a gig. We played that gig that you came to. That was the last gig I went to. Yeah, so. in the, yeah, in, the um, uh, in London, in the, in the Kentish Town Forum. Yeah, and that is that is the longest. I think you know, ever since probably when Baby Teeth was out, I don't think we've ever had one year where we haven't gigged. Not at all. Mm. There's always been at least twenty. Mm. Even in a even when we haven't had an album, we always have summer festivals and at least twenty gigs. That's in the very, very, very lean years. But you know, this I've never ever known a, a year when we didn't gig. It's insane. Yeah. And I, I was in a, in a bizarre way. I was thinking about it. Someone was saying to me about gigging and to not actually do a live performance for a whole year. I mean, that's, I don't think I've ever, since blooming learning how to play drums, not done anything. I mean, even as a kid at school, you do an assembly or you do something, yeah. one, mm. to not play at all live. It's like crazy, yeah, it's really odd. It's gonna be weird, I think it's gonna be weird getting back to it. I'm gonna be quite nervous actually. <laughs> I start spewing yeah. up at the side of the stage. <laughs> I don't wanna go on, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well hopefully we'll we'll you know we'll see you sooner rather than later but um thank you for uh joining me virtually and phil in the background yeah uh to, to you know uh to pub this, this is the book launch oh two copies yeah. contact michael mckeegan if you uh i've been hiding them in the charts yeah <laughs> it's like bad news yeah what was that? Uh, like to order 347 copies of the uh, book, please. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you qualified because some idiot bought 350 copies of the book. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you remember? Yeah. Do you remember? Sorry. Go ahead. No, no. No, I was going to say, do you remember? This is a, sorry, this is another. Do you remember in Carline Music years ago, Michael, when that guy, his nickname was Spike, worked there? Oh, and, yes. and, and he got sacked because Gallup were on the phone wanting to know why Alien Sex Fiend had gone into the top five based on sales from Carla Music. <laughs> He'd just been swiping. Brilliant. So, yeah, if Spike's out there, uh, feel free to <laughs> go to Watchstones with a barcode. Um, I'm not proud. So, uh, yeah. But uh, thanks for joining us and maybe we can do something, uh, you know, again soon. Uh, further recollections and uh, maybe I a hope so. special. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So it'll be the chapter next Halloween week. special. I mean, come on, yeah. in the world of metal and alternative rock, we have to have a Halloween special. Sounds we could good. All right, then. We'll do that then. <laughs> Excellent. Rest, yeah. Yeah. Well, thanks. <laughs> so, well, thank you for uh, you know do, doing this. Uh, it's it's been a pleasure, and um, it's uh, yeah, it's 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 weird to have a book about a band I care deeply about in my hands, and uh, I'm going to put it there and say good night. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Speak soon.